You're listening to the Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Well, today we are wrapping up a series called Mistakes Were Made. Mistakes were made. We've been talking about mistakes and, and what, 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 what ways God can redeem us from our mistakes, what we can learn in them and all of that in this series. Last weekend, if you missed it, Pastor Robbie taught a message on Jonah that was incredible. I learned from it. I'm still processing it. And I think if you weren't here last week or, or you didn't tune in last week, that you got to check it out. You got to be a part of it. And, uh, and, and, and I think you'll get something out of it as well. Today, I want to talk about one of the more prominent conversion stories in the scriptures and some mistakes and as it relates to the process of redemption. I don't know if I said it yet though. First, let me just say welcome after we've been talking for a few moments. I'm glad you're here. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to have you. If you're watching online, I'm glad you're here too. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're honored that you're a part of it today. I understand that a lot of us today are probably wrapped up in a blanket on a couch somewhere and you know, I get it. You know, they can't even fault you on, on some of those mornings for wanting that couch service, wanting to wear your sweatpants to church. I get it. I saw some of you guys did that and you're here this morning anyways in the sweatpants. You look great. It's fine. And any way you want to come, you can come to the gathering church. If you got so used to wearing sweatpants and your big concern with not coming back in person is whether or not you'll fit back into your church pants, hey, there's a place for you at the gathering church. We may not put you on our first impression team, but we will find a place for you here. <laughs> well, today um, I'm going to talk about a story that, uh, man, I, I love the, the, the whole process of it and what takes place. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul today and his journey. And before we get into it, let me tell you that I, got, I became a Christian when I was 21 years old and in the Coast Guard. Uh, when I gave my life to Jesus, it was a pretty dramatic transformation. It was kind of a to, it was it was kind of an A to Z transformation. Like uh, it wasn't one of those where I was already a pretty good person and and I gave my life to Jesus and then I just kind of had direction and purpose. No, it was different because I was pretty broken inside, which meant I was pretty destructive on the outside. I was pretty mean to new people coming in. There's a whole long story there, but. Um, I, I took a lot of, of participation in the old military tradition of hazing and, and was, kind of a, was kind of on the lookout for new guys to come into our unit all the time so that I could help them learn the ropes, you know. And I was pretty mean to people. I was a, the, I was a party animal, you know. I was, I was the one people looked at to say, okay, here, here we go. Let's, let's do something rowdy tonight. I always had a, a plan and a way to, to just be destructive and... So when I gave my life to Jesus, I was pretty sure that it was going to be a hard pill for people to swallow. I, I thought to myself, one of the first thoughts that I had the next morning when I woke up was, no one is ever going to believe this. No one is ever going to accept me as I am now. And honestly, I was right at first. 
When, when, I, when, when I started telling people, oh, hey, I'm, I'm actually, a, I gave my life to Jesus. Let me tell you about it. I'm a Christian. I'm new. I'm not doing those old things anymore. Everybody uh, in the beginning just kind of looked at me like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure you are, buddy. Yeah. Oh, oh, we know you, red wine. We, it was like everybody was constantly on the edge of their seats just waiting for me to mess it all up, to fall back into my old ways. And so I remember one of the things was I decided I wanted uh, to, make it, to, to make it one of my missions to make the transition into the new unit easier for the new guys as they came in. But they did not trust me one bit. You see, I had, I had taken quite um, uh, uh, a lot of my time and energy into making life difficult. And then I came in and said, hey guys, you know, I, I, I'm different now. I gave my life to Jesus. Honestly, I just want to know what I can do to make your life easier. And they were like, uh-huh, uh-huh, sure, man, we'll keep our eye on you. Nobody believed me. Nobody would trust me. Nobody would let me help them. I decided that one of the things that I wanted to do was steer people away from the bars and the parties whenever we would make port calls. And so I began to organize alternatives and different, different ways for people to get out and have fun, and zero people signed up because people didn't trust me, because they, they thought that something weird had happened to me and they didn't want it to happen to them. I began to wonder if I was ever gonna be able to actually change my reputation, if my story was ever gonna be more than what it had been and if there was ever gonna be a what it will be. And the truth is, years later, sometimes I still struggle with feeling like I even deserve to be here. I wonder who's watching and waiting for it all to fall apart. And I wonder if you can relate to any of that. I wonder if you have a past that you've ever allowed to limit your future. I wonder if you're still trying to step out of the shadow of your mistakes and into the purpose of your creation. I wonder if you know what it feels like to have everybody watching you just waiting for the cards to fall. And the story of Paul's conversion, his, his journey into Christianity, it starts with this line. It says in Acts Chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That's intense. Welcome to the story, Saul. Paul, or Saul as he was known then, was a well-known enemy of God. He was famous for his hunt for Christians. He had a reputation for the way that he pursued followers of the way, people who followed Jesus. His sins had made him famous. And getting out from under that wasn't easy. It took him time and consistency and personal growth. And if you've ever felt that way before, then I believe Paul's story will be an encouragement to you today. Let's, let's read through his story in Acts chapter nine. And then I have just a few things that I wanna encourage you with as we close out our series today. Number one, your mistakes are forgiven, but they don't always need to be forgotten. It says this uh, in chapter one, it says, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so Paul is on his way to Damascus to find and arrest Christians and make them stand trial for blasphemy, something he now had a precedent to stone them for. In Acts chapter seven, it tells the story of a man named Stephen who was stoned to death for being a Christian. And in that 
story at the end of it as though it were a footnote. It just says that the men who went to go stone Stephen laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so the first introduction we get to Saul in the Bible is him being involved in the murder of Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen. I've often thought about what this was like for Paul to have his story so well known. To be well known in the beginning, not for what God might do in you, but for what you've already done against him. It, it, was, uh, it was a reputation that would precede him as he would go from place to place. It was intentionally included in several places in the book of Acts so that we would know that Saul was there even in the beginning of their persecution. I think it's interesting how the parts of our past that we want to hide from are often a part of the story that God thinks people need to hear. The things we may be ashamed of and mistakes we've made may just be the thing that people need to hear in order to begin to understand the redeeming power of God for the first time. That what the enemy does is he covers us in shame and guilt over our past, over our mistakes, over the ways that we opposed God before we followed him. He wants those parts of our story to remain hidden and not talked about, but Paul would suggest differently. He told his story every chance that he got because no matter what it said about him, it pointed glory to God and gave people a reference point for his grace. Sometimes, just because we're forgiven doesn't mean our sins need to be forgotten. Sometimes the story that we have that we would rather forget about is the, exactly the story that somebody else needs to hear. The second thing is redemption is possible, but the process may be painful. Look at verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord came to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all those who call upon your name. A few things we need to talk about here. First of all, I don't know if you see a pattern, but last week when Robbie talked about Jonah and God gave Jonah a direct mission from God, Jonah was like, wait up, wait up, wait up, God, wait, you got this one wrong. And then here we are several hundreds of years later and Ananias gets a mission from God and he responds, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, you got it wrong, this guy here. I don't know about, this is just something I noticed, but, but I don't know about you, but I know that I've said it out loud before that, hey, you know what, if God really wants me to do that, then he's gonna have to tell me himself. 
But the reality is that even if he did tell you himself, you might argue with him and say, no, God, you got it wrong. And I think sometimes we, we hesitate to step out in faith because we, we aren't sure whether or not God would tell us to do something that makes us uncomfortable, but I think it's God's calling card to make us do something uncomfortable. Second thing that I notice is that the moment that Saul accepts Jesus, he loses his ability to see. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, our ending gets better, but our present might get a little bit more painful. Finding freedom can be a hard and painful experience. And sometimes in order to see things the way that God wants us to see things, we're gonna have to lose our ability to see the way we always have first. So God sends Paul to get help from the very Christians he was going to persecute. And when God tells Ananias who he's sending his way, Ananias is not so excited about it. In fact, he tells God, no, Saul is here actually to find me so that he can arrest me. He is not here to help me. But God sets the record straight in verse 15. He says, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Overcoming your past sometimes requires consistency and time. Maybe you found yourself where I was. According to scripture, you've been made a new creation, washed whiter than snow, but according to your friends or your family, it's just a phase and it can't be trusted. That's where Paul was. Ananias said, no God, I can't do it. I don't trust this guy. I don't wanna trust this guy. I don't believe this guy. It says in verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Saul's got that new believer energy. And he needs to tell everybody what God has done in his life. But as he tells people, they just look at each other and say, Wait a minute, what's going on here? That's Saul. He was just breathing out murderous threats against us, wasn't he? Verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And somehow, because of the consistency in Saul's message, and his character, and time going by, many days going by, we went from the people saying, wait a minute, isn't that the guy who came here to arrest all the Christians? To the people saying, we've got to save your life, let's drop you in a basket down the wall. See, I think sometimes what the Bible explains in a verse, God does in a large period of time. And that's the way the narrative works sometimes. Sometimes there's not as much uh, exposition in between where we were and where we are going. But there's a lot of time and consistency in between. 
and because of the consistency in Saul's message and his character and time going by, we went from Saul the accuser to saving his life. He had advocates in the city because of Ananias and his friends, but the rest he had to win them over one at a time, over time, with the consistency of his character. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So he's left Damascus, he's gone to Jerusalem. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And then he went somewhere new and he had to start it all over again. He rebuilt, he built trust, he built relationships. He had, he had become a new person in their eyes, but he went to a new place and it was the same old, same old, we don't trust you, we don't need you, we know who you are, or we know who you were, we can't have you near us again. But Saul would gain the trust and respect of the believers in Jerusalem and eventually all over the world. Here's my point. If you've been made new in Jesus, be new in Jesus and only let Jesus tell you who you are. Use your story without reliving your story. Consistency in character over the passage of time will rebuild what your mistakes have broken. For the next 14 years, Paul would do ministry in three cities. Damascus for a while, Jerusalem for a couple of years, and then Tarsus for almost a decade. And it was at the end of that time in Tarsus that Saul would begin to go by Paul and he would go on his first of three missionary journeys that would change the world the way we know it today, along with writing two-thirds of the New Testament from Saul to Paul. Here's three things that I want us to learn from his story today. First, don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify yourself. For those of us who have ever felt like we are undeserving of God's purpose, or even unusable because of our mistakes, I wonder where those lies originated. Does somebody speak that into you? Does somebody tell you that you would never amount to anything? Or was it just some voice in the back of your head on repeat, over and over again, constantly reminding you of all the ways you failed and all the things you don't deserve? Does it feel like you're constantly running into new reminders of the way things used to be? You see, the Bible says that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, and he is the father of lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. The enemy wants you to believe that your past disqualifies you from your future. But God wants you to know that your past uniquely equips you for the purpose that he's given you. Paul says this in 1 Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appealing, appointing me to his service. I think that's important, that the first place where Paul felt like someone trusted him was Christ Jesus. He had a lot of people who didn't trust him for a very long time. He had to build up that reputation. He had to be consistent over time. He had to show them that his character had changed, that his mission had changed. And he was able to keep going forward because of inle- instead of letting men tell him who he was or the people in his life tell him who he was or the people who'd seen who he had been before tell him who he was going to be in the future, he decided to let only God, only Jesus be the one who determined his worth. So he says, I thank you. Christ Jesus, our Lord, who gave me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, 
Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I think that there's two ways to read that and it depends on your worldview. See, if, if you're in a position where you've always disqualified yourself from being a part of God's dreams for your life, then you probably read that as a woe is me. I'm the worst sinner of all. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst that ever has been. Nobody's ever made bigger mistakes than me. Nobody has a bigger capacity to hurt than I do. I've done it all. I'm the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. That's one way to read it. But then the way that I think Paul wrote it is different. Because I think Paul was a lot less fixated on how bad he had been than he was fixated on how good God is. So I'm the worst sinner of all. Like if God could do this in me and through me, imagine what he could do in you. I was a violent man. I was breathing out murderous threats against the people of God. I was somebody who constantly did the right thing, who, made the, who constantly did the wrong thing, who constantly made the wrong choice, who hurt people. I was the worst one yet, but God did it through me. And so he could do it through you. And what the enemy does is he gets us more focused on ourselves than on God constantly over and over and over again and in every story. And in the story of my past and the mistakes that I've made and in the story of the way God has transformed me and changed me, I can get way too focused on the ways that I messed up and miss the ways that he has rescued and redeemed me. See, my story is worth retelling. My past doesn't have to be forgotten because of what God has done, not because of what I did. I have been rescued and redeemed, even though I was the very worst of sinners. Christ, so that I was, for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Your past mistakes highlight the power of God's redemption. And Paul led thousands of people to a relationship with Jesus, and he had a favorite sermon. He would preach one sermon as much as he could, and that was very simply the story of what God had done in him. I was a violent, angry, hurtful man. And God came in and changed all of that, transformed me, made me new. And now look what God can do in me, and he can do it in you too. I think it, I think it is one of the enemy's greatest tricks to convince us that our past disqualifies us from our future because the scriptures are filled with examples that are exactly the opposite. Our past doesn't disqualify us for our future, it equips us for it. It gives us the tools we need, the resources we need. We talk about finding freedom 
at the church a lot. That's one of our, we, we have four purposes as a church, four, four steps on a spiritual journey that we want to lead you through. First, we want you to, to know God. And we believe that's first, that you don't have to do anything else, that you get to enter into a relationship with him exactly where you are, exactly as you are. There's not a list. There's not a requirement beyond saying yes to the sacrifice he made for you. Second is we want you to find freedom. Here's the thing about finding freedom. Finding freedom is that journey of overcoming your past. That journey, that part where, where Paul is blind and he isn't really sure where he is or who he is and he doesn't know what the future holds. All he knows is all he's ever been. And God wants to heal him of that. That journey of overcoming your past, finding freedom, it prepares you to do something unique. It prepares you to be the Ananias in the story for the next Saul in the story. Because now you have an understanding because of what you've done that only you have. And the way that we help others find freedom is as we move forward, we remember to reach back and say, actually, God, God delivered me from that. I'm here. I can tell you what it looks like, how, how, how I did it, what God did in me. I can tell you about the journey. Come on, let's do this together. And what the devil wants us to do is to hide that process because he wants as few people coming up behind us as possible. And so he wants us to have shame and guilt. And instead of being able to say, hey, look what God did in me, he wants us to just act like it's always been okay. But that's, that's not the dream that God has for us. He doesn't want us to disqualify ourselves. He wants us to see the ways we've been equipped to do the ministry he's called us to. We gotta lean into the process. Paul was blind and he needed a guide in order to help him see. Then he was untrustworthy and he needed time to build that trust. Then he had no influence and he needed time plus integrity to build that influence and none of it happened overnight. And it's not going to happen overnight for you either. That's the other myth the enemy wants us to believe. That if you couldn't get over all of this the next morning, you never will. That it couldn't be real. That if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have these struggles. But it doesn't work that way. And you can't let others disqualify you either. You may need some time to rebuild that reputation. Everybody might be waiting for you to mess it up. But you've got to let God speak into the heart of those who would be your advocate. Because I believe he will just as he spoke into the heart of Ananias. It happened for me, there was a guy, Josh Pope. He was, I was on a ship with 84 guys and the, the only other Christian was a guy whose last name was Pope, which was Providence. And Pope was the only person who believed in me, who looked at me and said, I see the change in you. I believe you can do what you say you're gonna do. I believe you can overcome the way that you've been. I believe in you. And because I had Pope, one person is all it took one advocate, one person to stand next to me and say, let's go on this journey together. And over time and with integrity and consistency, I began to gain trust and to change my reputation. And that's the power of the church. That's why we believe that you should never do life alone. That's why we think it's so important to be a part of a life group, to get into somebody's home or to get into somebody's life where you can look them in the eyes and say, hey, I need an advocate. I need somebody, I just need one person to believe in me, to say, I think you can do what God has called you to do, and I know I can. You may start out blind and unable to see your calling, your purpose, your future, your past. Clearly, you may be blind, but I believe that in the context of the local church, you can find somebody to help you see. 
And then you just need time to build trust. And you need time plus integrity to build influence. You've just got to lean into the process. Finding freedom is a process, but it is worth it. So don't disqualify yourself. Allow God to qualify you. Second, don't underestimate the importance of now. Don't underestimate the importance of now. I think it's interesting that we often jump from Paul on the road to Damascus to Paul spreading the gospel all over the world. But that's not how it happened in his story. There was more than just a moment between when everything was actually built that he would base his ministry on later. We don't like to talk about the time in between. The time in between who you were and who you were made to be. The time in between where you came from and where you are going. We just want to be there. We, we, just, want to, we just want to end up at our destination. Acts spends 16... <clears throat> Acts spends six. Acts spends sixteen verses. Sound like Robbie up here? (laughs) Sorry, man. I got him though. Um, (laughs) Acts spends sixteen verses on that fourteen years of Paul's life. Sixteen verses on fourteen years, and then the next sixteen chapters on the next ten years. Luke takes time to describe where Paul was during that 14 years, and that's about it. We get locations, we don't get a lot of the process. But it does say this about what was happening in the world during that time. This is in verse 31 of Acts chapter nine. Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and it was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And so that 14-year gap where we don't get a lot of information was a time of peace, strengthening, and growth. I wonder if you thought you were in a wasted season of waiting and working, but in reality, you've been in a season of peace and strengthening. I wonder if you're missing the growth of this season because you're fixated on the growth of the next season. I wonder if you're more fixated on the growth of what you can do in the world outside of you and you're missing this time that God wants to do something inside of you. See, I think that these 14 years of time for Paul were critical. I think they mattered. I think they were important. I think it was the season that gave him the integrity and the influence that he needed in order to reach the entire world in the next season of his life. And I don't know, I think, I think it's easy to look at a story like this or, or a success story in the world around us and only see the end result and forget about all the hard work that happened in between. The stuff that's just not always worth writing about. It's, it's, not, it's not as gripping on a page, it's not as exciting, and yet it's so important. For the farmer, the work between the planting and the harvest is mundane and menial. Watering, fertilizing, and preparing. But without that work, there is no harvest. In those years that we don't know a lot about, Paul was doing the work to find freedom, to build integrity, to build trust, and to let God shape him into who he was made to be. And if you're still caught in the process between your mistake-ridden past and your purpose-driven future, make sure that you lean into that process and don't let the enemy tell you that this time is not important. Do not underestimate the importance of right now. Last thing is this, very simply, don't ever give up on your purpose. 
Just moments after giving his life to Jesus, God tells Ananias that he is going to use Paul to reach Gentiles and kings. But then Paul would spend the next 14 years mostly preaching to Jewish people. God put a big dream in his heart, but then where he found himself was much smaller. If God puts a big dream in your heart, don't give up just because it takes a long time to get there. Paul went from Damascus to Jerusalem, which would be considered a pretty big step up in Jerusalem. He would spend time with the apostles there, with Peter and with, with these guys that he would get to build a relationship with just to learn about Jesus. I imagine that Paul spent a lot of time just asking questions and learning about Jesus, what he was like, what it, what it felt like to sit around him, to be with him. And then after some time, it gets dangerous for Paul in Jerusalem. So they send him to Tarsus, his hometown. And he's there for years. And then one day things change. And he and Barnabas get called up by the church and by God to go and change the world. And our world is different today because of the way God used him then. And the next 16 chapters of Acts tell that story. And all the epistles let us see the, the impact of it. God took this man who was breathing out murderous threats, transformed him, called him, established him, and used him to change the world. Every journey is different. And I don't know what's happened in yours. I don't know how long ago it was that God spoke purpose into your heart, a dream into your heart, a calling into your heart. There were a lot of dreams that, that got dumped by the wayside this year. A lot of plans. I feel bad for every pastor that got on a stage in January and said, I got 2020 vision for the year 2020. Ain't nobody saw this coming. <sighs> a lot of it has, has felt forgotten. But I, I want you to hear me tell you that the purpose that God puts in your heart, the one that he made you with, the day that you were, I believe that he created you and that as he created you, he didn't just create you randomly, but that he made you the way that you are with the dreams and the gifts and the passions that you have with a holy assignment in mind, that there was a dream that he had for you, a job that he had for you, a purpose and a plan that he had for you bigger than anything you could imagine for yourself. I think that's why our whole, all of humanity spends their life searching for purpose. I don't think that's by accident. I think it's by design. Because God created you with one. You have one. And there's no time stamp on how long it will take you to get there. Don't give up on your purpose. Just because 2020 has been a year of waiting, don't give up on your purpose. Just because right when you thought you'd made it and you were in Jerusalem on the main stage, all of a sudden you had to go back to your hometown and live with mom and dad in Tarsus for a while, don't give up on your purpose. God has more in mind for you. There are people who desperately need to hear your story. Your mistakes don't disqualify you, they equip you. There are people who have walked the same difficult haggard road as you and they need your story to help them move forward to move on there are people who are blind right now 
and who God is putting it in your heart to help them see. Don't give up on your purpose. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't underestimate the importance of this moment right now. A year where everything we know is put on pause. Maybe it's a time for peace, strengthening and growth so that we can be prepared for the next one. I believe that God has more for you and that you are more than the sum of your mistakes. I believe that he has dreams for you that are bigger than anything you've ever said you would never be qualified for. And I believe that the time is coming soon when you'll begin to see what that looks like. Until then, my prayer for you is that you would just stay the course. We all make mistakes. It's a part of our story. It's a part of our journey. And I believe only God can redeem it and use it for whatever he's got in mind for next. If you're here today and you've never had a relationship with Jesus, you, you've spent all of your life looking for that purpose, longing to be made new. You, you're still in the moment where you feel like you're breathing out murderous threats. You, you're living in a moment where you feel like everything you do is hurting somebody else and you're ready for it all to end. I want you to know that the hard work has already been done for you, that you don't have to do anything to, to be qualified. You don't, you don't have to do anything to make it right. All you have to do is say yes to the one who's already died and taken the punishment for you. He's reaching his hand out and saying, will you just, will you just come follow me? You just say yes. If that's you and you're in here today, every head, out, every head bowed, every eye closed, will you just say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, forgive me for the mistakes that I've made. Forgive me for my sin. Thank you so much for making a way for me to be made new. I give you my life and all that I am from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org, find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church, or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.